Hi, everyone. Did you like that? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? <laughs> Get you going on this, uh, I guess, second Sunday of the new year. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm the pastor, lead pastor here. So glad that you um, are here with us today. And for those of you who are joining us um, online via our podcast, we're glad that you are listening in as well. If you're here today and you want to follow along online, um, we have our notes online, and you can go to our website, hiltonheadislandcc.org and go to the resource page, and you can follow along. It's the same notes that you were given when you walked in this morning, so I want to encourage you to do that. It was a uh, fog-shrouded morning on July 4th, 1952, when a young woman named Florence Chadwick walked into the waters off of Catalina Island off the coast of California. She intended to swim the whole channel from the island to the California coast. Long-distance swimming was not a new thing for her. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. But that day, the water was numbing cold. It was incredibly cold. Fog had kind of built in off the coast of California. The fog was everywhere. It was so thick that she couldn't even see some of the boats that were in her party. There were sharks that were seen around that had to be driven away with rifle fire. It was not the best of mornings to go out and do what she wanted to do. Her trainer encouraged her after 15 hours, get that, 15 hours of being in the water, her trainer encouraged her to swim on since they were so close to the goal, close to her land. But Florence looked and all she saw around her was fog. That's all she saw was fog. So she quit one mile from the California coast one mile from the California coast. Later, she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. It wasn't the cold. It wasn't the numbing waters. It wasn't the fear of what was around her or exhaustion that caused Florence Chadwick to fail that morning. It was the fog. Many times I think when it comes to goals and priorities and New Year's resolutions and things that we want to accomplish in the year, I think that we often fail not because of circumstances that are on the outside, but I think that sometimes we fail because of the fog of life that kind of builds in as we try to accomplish those goals and we wake up one day and we can't even see where the goal is anymore. And it's interesting with goals and with New Year's resolutions and with things that we put into our lives that we want to accomplish, many times there are outside circumstances that come in that cause that fog, and we can't help those things. But I think oftentimes we ourselves contribute to the own fog in our lives, don't we? Two months after her failure, Florence Chadwick walked off that same beach of Catalina Island into the same channel, into those same waters, and she swam that same distance, except one mile further this time. And she set a new world record because she could see the land that morning. See, I think if we understand that when we go into a new year, and we talked a little bit about this last week, if we go into a new year with goals set, we might have a chance of accomplishing those goals. But if we approach a new year 
with the power of Jesus Christ. That's the part we talked about last week when we had communion. We talked about the life-giving power that he gives and that we can tap into if we're followers of him. You see, if we have that on our side, I think we've got a chance of accomplishing those goals. But here's what I want to talk about this morning, and here's what I want to talk about over the course of these next few weeks. If all we have is a goal in mind, and we have no way to get there, we probably won't get there. I mean, if you travel to a certain place, and you haven't picked out the route that you're going to take, It might take you a long time to get there. In fact, you may never get there if you don't have a map or GPS or some instrument telling you where to go and where to turn. And sometimes I think what we do, we make the mistake with New Year's resolutions, and if we're really honest with ourselves, most of them don't stick, I think, because of the fog of a lack of planning in our lives. I know it's been the case for me with the resolutions, with the things that I wanted to accomplish. It's great to have these great, big, audacious, lofty, heavy goals. But if we don't have a game plan to accomplish them, it's much less likely that we're going to achieve them. And so over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. Now, i got to be honest with you. As your pastor, I've never had a whole series on New Year's resolutions. And you know why I don't like to do these kind of series is because often I don't keep them myself. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I want, to, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you in your life, whether you're a student or whether you're someone who's in a later season of your life, how many of you have had a New Year's resolution at some time in your life and haven't met it? Just want to see your hands. Okay, great. Doesn't that just put you at ease? Isn't that great? We all have had goals. We've all had things that we wanted to accomplish and sometimes we just haven't. Well, over the course of these next few weeks, I want to talk about four different goals, and I want to talk about things that we should have in our lives that I believe the Bible speaks to that will help us be better people, but I want to talk about us developing a game plan to accomplish those goals and those priorities and those resolutions that we so are excited to have at the beginning of a new year. What would happen, for instance, if instead of deciding that you're going to lose 10 pounds this year, that you actually have a plan and you know what it's going to take to accomplish that 10-pound goal? What would it look like at the end of 2014 if you did that? What would it look like instead of just having a goal of, let's say, eliminating $10,000 in debt or maybe saving $1,000 throughout the year? What would it look like if you knew absolutely for sure what it was that was going to take for you to get to that goal every month, every week, and even every day. We'd be more likely to accomplish that goal. What would it look like if you decided, you know what, I want to be a more godly person. I want to be a better spiritual leader, dads in the family. What would it look like instead of just having that as a lofty goal, what would it look like if we said, you know what, I need to commit myself to, myself to 15 minutes every day reading God's word. And I need to commit myself every day to talking to him. And I need to find a life group to be involved with. And I need to go to church when I'm in town instead of skipping. Those kind of things will help me accomplish our goal. See, it would look completely and utterly different. What would it look like if you wanted to accomplish the goal of becoming a better person in 2014? 
But instead of just having that goal out there, you had ways to achieve it. Like, what am I going to do on a, on a monthly or weekly or daily basis to serve God and to serve others? And so over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to have plans, a game plan for accomplishing certain goals. And we're going to center ourselves around four different areas. Our health, that'll be today. Please don't leave in the middle of the service, okay? (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about our spiritual lives, our spiritual journey, our relationship with Christ. We're going to talk about our finances and what we can accomplish. Please be here on week three. Don't miss week three. Uh, And we're going to talk about what it means to have a game plan to help serve God and to serve others. Last week in our communion service, we talked about the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And because of that fact, we can have a newness of life. We can go into a new year or a new season or a new school or maybe a new job or maybe a new relationship with an excitement and a newness of life because Jesus Christ went to the cross and was put in a tomb for three days, but then he defeated death. He was raised to life again. And because of that fact, we can have a newness of life. That's what the Bible says. And because we have God on our side, we have the power of God on our side to accomplish our greatest dreams and our biggest goals and the priorities that we set out in life. But that's his part. That's his part. I want you to hear this this morning. His work is already done. Now it's time for us to get to work and to do our part. Are you with me this morning? It's time for us to do our part. And I want to tell you this morning that my my job as your pastor is is to bring you to the truth. My job as your pastor and and the lead communicator here is to open up God's word the best I can and to lead you to truth and try to, as the Bible says, to divide that truth in a way that makes sense, a way that's understandable. And my role as your pastor, quite honestly, is to stir it up. I hope that you walk away over the course of these next few weeks with some difficult conversations. Now everyone leaves, right? I hope that you walk away. You're like, wow, you really hope that, Todd? That's really nice. It's going to be great for my marriage. Thank you very much. I really do hope that you walk away being able to have some honest and tough conversations with yourselves, with your your nearest friends, with your closest family, with your spouse, husbands, and wives, and with your kids moms, and dads, so that you guys can put a game plan together to accomplish what you want to accomplish. That's my role as your pastor, to communicate as best I can that job. So God's done his part. I'm going to try the best of my ability to do my part. But here's where you come into this picture. Because if all we do over these next few weeks is just have a guy up here that talks to you for 35 minutes, we've done nothing. And so I want to challenge you this year, and in particular in this series, to take action every week. Because that will complete the process. God's done his part. I'm going to do the best job I can to do my part. But it's our job, including me, by the way, now to take these principles and actually apply them to our lives. I'm not talking about just trying it one day, and if it doesn't work, we give up. But I'm talking about actually applying them to the course of our lives. I wonder what it would look like if we truly committed ourselves as a church to that in 2014. I wonder what it would look like at the end of 2014 to see what God has done with us. 
Now, I'll get off my soapbox and I'll talk to you about the message that I want to talk to you about this morning. And that is, is developing a game plan for my health. Now, let me tell you something right up front here. I, my name's Todd and I love food. I love food. I really do. You know what else I love? Not working out. I really do like to not work out. When people are like, let's go to the gym, I'm like, no. That does not sound fun. Let's go have a steak. <laughs> I like food and I don't like to work out. But something happened to me over the course of the last few years. The less I worked out and the more I ate, as I got closer to 40, guess what happened? I'm not going to say what happened. My waistline began to expand. And so as I entered my 40th year, which was this past March, March of 2013, I decided in 2012 that I needed to start going to these you know, annual checkups that are free for most of us on our insurance plans because I was doing those annual checkups about once a decade. So I decided that I would go to my doctor and I would make a commitment to going to him because I knew I was out of shape. I knew I was in bad shape, but I didn't know how bad a shape I was in. Um, this will really encourage you to go to your doctor. So I went at the end of 2012 to my doctor and I found out that I was, you know, 15 to 20 pounds overweight. My blood pressure was 140 over 90 plus. I had high cholesterol and I had um, high triglycerides and my bad cholesterol was through the roof. So my doctor gave me a game plan very gently gave me a game plan. He told me what I needed to do. And so I went to work and about halfway through the year, I had done nothing really, to be honest with you, taking some vitamins, you know, watched, you know, ate a banana every once in a while. <laughs> but I decided the closer that I got towards the fall that this, I really needed to do something about this for my family, for my lifestyle, for my God, I needed to do something about this. And so I got a little more intense. Now remember, I like food, and I like not working out. So it wasn't that intense, but it was a little more intense. So I went to the doctor December of this year for my annual checkup, and I lost about 10 pounds throughout the year. I had lost 20 pounds, but who can resist pumpkin pie over the holidays? <laughs> my blood pressure went down. It's less than 120 over 80, which is much better. My triglycerides went down and my cholesterol went down, except for my bad cholesterol went through the roof, which looks like it's a hereditary thing. I'll be 41 this year, so welcome to that. Why do I tell you all this? Why do I bore you with my health? I want you to know that you're not in this alone. That there are some times that we as people contribute to the fog of not reaching goals that we contribute to that with our lack of being healthy and our lack of focusing on what it takes to be healthy. But I want you to know that it is a really spiritual thing. Now, it's, it's just a practical thing to be healthy. There's a lot of benefits to being healthy, aren't there? I mean, there's a lot of benefits. Once I began to lose some weight and focus a little bit on this, um, I, I felt better about myself. I felt more confident about myself. Now, I'm not where I, I want to be, but I'm, I'm further away from where I was at one time. I was more confident. When, when, when you go about the process of, of getting healthier in your life, um, I, I think just in general, you feel better about yourself. Um, I think in general, you, you, your family feels better about you. Your relationships might have a better chance to be better. 
Um, there, there was a, a study, it's an interesting study uh, that uh, a, a Swedish group of people did, and they talked about the fact that life expectancy goes through the roof. And they said essentially that people, they, they monitored 1,810 people over the course of about 18 years that were 75 or older. And they monitored their lifestyle and they monitored their longevity and they found out that people, even with chronic health problems, that were committed to a healthier lifestyle lived four more years than those who weren't and that had no chronic illnesses. And so having a healthy lifestyle lends to a longer life. That's just the facts. And so we as people can be committed to better health. And because of that, there are things in our life that will just be better. But there is a reason that is so much better than all of that, that we ought to be committed to good health. And it's the fact that God wants us to be committed to good health. He desires for us to be committed to good health. Now, let me make this disclaimer. Please hear me this morning on this. Let me make one disclaimer. I was in Barnes & Noble the other day with my kids, and um, they were back in the back playing with the train, and they like going back there. Sydney was reading, and my little boy was playing with the train back there. And I looked around, and half the store is about health this time of year. Have you noticed that? That like half the bookstores are packed with these books that talk about good health. And I've read a few of them over the years. And I'll tell you, they're, they're really good. They've got great information. They're very useful and that sort of thing. But there's something else that's common about them. And that is this. Um, they all say the same thing. <laughs> I mean, they really do. If you are an author of one of those books, I'm sorry. But they all say the same thing. They all kind of give the same general uh, uh, advice on, on how to be healthy. But there's another common denominator among these books. And here's what I want to say this morning. All of those books, much of the advice that you'll hear about good health has to do not with health, but it has to do with good looks. And I want you to hear something this morning. I think in our society, we get those mixed up. God is not concerned with good looks. Good looks are not important to God. <laughs> Can I hear someone say amen? That's good news. I don't know about you. I think that's great news. Good looks are not important to God. And I want you to understand this morning that what we're talking about when we talk about health goals are, is not what appears on the outside. There's a fantastic passage in the book of 1 Samuel where God chooses Samuel, who's one of the prophets of Israel at that time, to go to the house of Jesse and depict the new king of Israel. Imagine, put yourself in Samuel's shoes. You're entrusted by God Almighty to go pick the new king of Israel. You know, God's people. That's, that's a kind of a high calling, isn't it? And so he goes to the house of Jesse like God told him to do, and he begins to um, inspect Jesse's sons. And he, the Bible says he looks at Eliab, and he looks at uh, Abinadab and Shammah. So he didn't pick them based on their names, that's for sure. But he looks at these sons, and he looks at four more of Jesse's sons, and he looks at seven of Jesse's eight sons, 
And he wants to choose these sons. And you can tell by the conversation that God has with Samuel that Samuel is doing what I think we might do. And that is he's picking out the most handsome, tallest, strongest man. Because a king of God's people should be good looking, right? He should be tall, right? He should have a strong upper body and square cheekbones, right? And so Samuel, the prophet of God, begins to pick out the king based on these characteristics, outward characteristics. But look at what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. God says to Samuel, looks aren't everything. He says, don't be impressed. This is the message version. Don't be impressed with his good looks. He's talking about that first son, Eliab, there, and his stature. I've already eliminated him. And he says, God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks at the what? Heart. God looks at the heart. And so before I dive into what I want to tell you this morning about our physical bodies, I want you to hear me that God is not concerned with this, with the outward appearance. And that is very difficult for us to understand because largely our society has taken good health and good looks and they've twisted them. They've twisted them. God is not concerned about what we look like. But God is concerned about the people that we are for the main reason that because our bodies are the home of God's Holy Spirit, it is of high importance that we treat our bodies with respect. I want you to hear that this morning. It's the point that I want to drive home. It's the point that I want to leave you with this morning. Because our bodies are the home of God's Holy Spirit, it is of high importance that we treat our bodies with respect. Listen, unlike society, God doesn't care who you are on the outside. He doesn't care about the way your hair looks or about the way your clothes are or about the size ladies dress or men the size jeans that you wear. He doesn't care about what your face looks like. He loves you exactly the way that you are. Accept that, and here's the convicting part for me and hopefully for all of us. Accept that we as people house, I want you to hear that, we house the Holy Spirit of God in our bodies. And because that's true, we who are Christ followers have a responsibility to respect our bodies in kind. Are you with me this morning? I want you to take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He's talking to the church in Corinth and he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells where? In you. If anyone destroys God's temple, he says, God will destroy him. <laughs> okay, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Not much ambiguity there. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The message version reads like this. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing. Wow, that's a strong word, isn't it? With vandalizing God's temple, you can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred and you remember are the temple. Listen, I want you to hear this this morning. 
You are the home of the Holy Spirit, those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I know we're getting into a little bit of theology, but this is good for you to know that you are the home of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit lives in you. And because of that fact and that fact alone, it is the best reason for us to have a game plan when it comes to our health. We have a resident inside of us, and that's God's Holy Spirit. It's interesting that Paul used that word temple because the church at Corinth was an interesting church. It was made up of Jewish people and a lot of Gentiles, and they were serious about their religion. You remember the gospel was just being spread to this area called Corinth. It was far away from Jerusalem where everything started from. And he used that word temple on purpose. And I would imagine that there were probably some gasps among the readers of 1 Corinthians when they got this letter from Paul. Here's why. The Jewish people were so serious about their religion and the temple was everything. It was everything. The Gentiles, many of whom worshipped gods and goddesses, false gods and goddesses, their temple was everything. Temple life was important to that culture. And it's interesting that Paul uses that word. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It would have been shocking. Some people probably would have said, that's blasphemous. No way. That's blasphemous. But he's right. As soon as we become Christ followers, God indwells us. And so therefore, we have a responsibility because of that reason. We have a responsibility to treat our bodies with respect. In the summer of my seventh grade into eighth grade year, my family moved from um, Orlando, Florida to Atlanta, Stone Mountain, Georgia, and, and ended up living there most of my, well, all of my middle school and high school. And when we moved there, we moved into an apartment while our house was being built. My dad and mom were building a house in Stone Mountain. And I remember the first day that um, we went to the house, they loaded in all of our stuff and there were boxes. And I was in eighth grade, so I, no offense, eighth graders, but I wasn't much help. I mean, I really wasn't. So I got on my bike and I went outside and I went to the driveway and our driveway went down a hill. You know, we don't have hills here, but in Atlanta, we got nice hills. Went down a hill and around a corner into the garage. And I thought this is gonna be fun. <laughs> You know those garages, when they're first made, they have those nice, slick floors? I was like, this is going to be great. So I got my bike, and I started out at the top of our driveway, and I rode down into the garage, and I wiped out on purpose, and I slammed into the wall a couple times. I'm like, this is fun. I'm going to do this again. So I got up, and I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again, wiping out every time, slamming the bike and my body into the garage until my dad came out. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing? He said, you just need to keep it down. The whole house is shaking when you're doing that. And then he looked at the wall, and he was a little less understanding. And he said, are you serious? This is a brand new house, and you've done this? So the next day, I went outside, and I went outside with a uh, sand wedge. I played golf growing up, and I threw a couple balls out, and I started chipping to see how high I could hit my sand wedge up in the air on the new lawn that my dad had planted. And one of the balls went off the edge of my sand wedge right through the window, in my parents' bedroom, one of those eight-pane windows went through the top right pane. The house was two days old, and I had vandalized the house. And my dad came out in the yard, and he was nice and understanding, but he said, son, essentially this is what he said, son, if you don't respect the house, respect the people that live there. Oh, man. And then I got a job within a month. <laughs> you know, if you don't respect 
your own house, respect the fact that God's Holy Spirit lives there. I think it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand that there are so many things that are going to come with good health. There are so many benefits that we can have. Listen, I want you to hear this. Moms and dads who, who really need to kind of change your thinking about this. If, if I don't change my thinking about this, which it began to change in 2013, and I've got a long way to go. If we don't understand the change that needs to happen, if we don't take care of our bodies now, we're going to leave someone else with having to take care of our decrepit bodies later. And outside of things that might happen to us that we can't control, we have a lot of control over what happens to our bodies, don't we? And so we ought to have a game plan for accomplishing health goals. Let's face it. When people make New Year's resolutions, when you make goals, when you set out to accomplish certain things in the year, what's at the top of that list? Nine times out of ten, some kind of health goal. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. It is, in fact, a very spiritual thing to take care of your body. We don't think of it that way, do we? And we think of spiritual actions. We think of like serving others or having a really long quiet time every morning, you know, really reading God's word for a long time. We think of, um, you know, maybe serving other people. We kind of have an idea of we have to like serve to show that we love God or show our devotion to him. But I want you to hear this this morning. One of the best ways that we can show that we love God is by taking care of the physical bodies that he's given us. Mark 12, 30, Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And what does that last part say? With all your what? Strength. It implies body. It implies body. Paul, the apostle Paul, later in the book of, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Philippians, says that I, I, I beat my body. I beat it down so that it can be built back up. He didn't have a gym to go to, but he knew that he needed to take care of his body. And he needed to do those things that may not be comfortable. It may not be what we want to do. But he says, I do it for the Lord. I do it so that I can last in ministry. Listen, moms and dads, perhaps... You've been considering trying to be a more spiritual person, trying to be a better person, trying to be a more godly person. One of the most intense ways that you can contribute to the spiritual direction of your family is by taking care of yourself. Cynthia and I had this conversation a few months back. We were having a discussion on how I can be a better spiritual leader. And she looked at me and said, you know what, you're beginning to do it because you're taking care of yourself. And that's really true. There are practical reasons. There are conventional reasons why we ought to do this. But there's a deeply spiritual reason. And that is because we are the temples of God's Holy Spirit. Mark Twain once said, The only way to keep your health is to eat what you don't want, drink what you don't like, and to do what you'd rather not. But you know, it really doesn't have to be that sad, does it? It doesn't have to be that depressing, does it? 
but we can make incremental steps. In the bottom of your notes, I'm not going to go over them this morning and insult your intelligence, but in the bottom of the notes are five different things that we as a family try our best to do that I hope and pray will be an idea of a game plan. Listen, when, they, when these game plans are put into practice, when, when I encourage you to do these things, I can't tell you what to do. That is between you and God. But imagine what it would be like if on December 31st of 2014, you really committed yourself to the fact that you're God's temple. You house the Holy Spirit of the Lord God Almighty. What would it look like if you really understood that and therefore put into place not just a goal, but a game plan to accomplish what you think he's leading you to accomplish? I hope you do that in 2014. I hope that becomes one of the things that you commit yourself to. And I'll tell you, I'm going to be right there with you because i got a long way to go. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Oh God, we don't like talking about these things. I certainly don't. But God, when we realize the fact that we are your temple, God, that's a huge responsibility. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand the weight of that. Father God, I pray that you would help us to understand that when we take care of ourselves, it's not selfish. In fact, it's very selfless. It shows our family it shows our community, it shows those who depend on us that we care and that we're in it for the long haul. It makes us better people, it makes us happier people, we feel better, but God, beyond all of those great reasons, God, I thank you that you can help us understand that the best reason that we can have a game plan for our health in 2014 is the fact that we are your temple. God, I thank you so much for loving us enough that you gave up Jesus to be our Savior. God, help us to live this out in 2014. Help each one of us, including myself, to realize that you've done your part, that we can tap into your power for our lives. God, we've done our part this morning as a church community. Now it's up to each one of us to develop a game plan and to put it into action in 2014. Give us strength and courage when we fail. Help us to get back on track when we fall down. God, help us to be committed to the things that are going to make your temple the best possible temple it can be and the best possible way that it can be. And God, I pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand up this morning? I'm so glad that you've been here with us this morning. For those of you who are part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family, I want to encourage you to give on your way out. Thank you so much for your faithful giving. You can give on your way out. Have a great week, everyone. Grace and peace be with you this week. See you next Sunday.